in Gaziantep, where the earthquakes that devastated Turkey and northern Syria are being described as the worst disaster to hit the region in a century. The death toll has surged now past 30,000, while hundreds of thousands have been left homeless in sub-zero temperatures. As authorities assess the incomprehensible damage, more than 100 arrest warrants have been issued for the people involved in constructing the now-collapsed buildings. Elias Abuate is a spokesman for the International Rescue Committee. He arrived in Gaziantep last night and he joins you now. Uh, Elias, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Good morning, Patricia. Thank you for having me. What have you arrived to overnight? What is the situation like on the ground? Well, the situation can easily be described as catastrophic because um, so far what I've seen is that there's a sense of fear among everyone I've met uh, here in in, in Gaziantep. Uh, You can feel like there's a sense of ghost town and there's no movement much happening uh, everyone, buildings are empty. People are scared to go uh, to the to the uh, higher floors. Uh, they would rather sleep, uh, for example, in in hotel lobbies. Uh, so there is still a bit of fear of all these aftershocks that have been happening. Uh, for example, yesterday one of my colleagues told me that they've sensed a uh, aftershock with a magnitude of uh, four. Uh, so apparently, and since we've had more, over 700 aftershocks, you can imagine that you know at any moment, any second, you can this could happen. And uh, we hope it doesn't get to uh, 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 another earthquake that is just as bad as the first one. But we do hope that at least we can get over this sort of nightmare that has affected millions and millions, more than 26 million people in Turkey and Syria. Uh, so it's, it's, it's quite really shocking just to experience this in person uh, as soon as I landed here in the city. Attention is now on the construction of buildings. Is the divide between how buildings constructed visible in the damage? Um, there has been. Uh, well, I'll be completely honest and say that uh, um, today I've been really uh, occupied with with uh, trying to launch our response for the IRC, the International Rescue Committee. Uh, we're launching it from Gaziantep for both countries. And uh, tomorrow I'm scheduled to go to the field to learn more and see by myself and witnessed uh, some of the destruction and the damage that has happened to the buildings. I have seen, uh, I've heard reports of of some of the buildings that were uh, newly established or built uh, that were uh, completely destroyed, which really uh, raises the question whether how how these were actually built. Uh, There were also some news and reports of the Turkish government uh, going to uh, uh, hold anyone accountable who was responsible for this sort of uh, construction. Um, this is the case in Turkey, but if we switch and we go back, go to Syria, this is where things are much worse uh, for a population of over 4 million people. 90% of them are in need of assistance. That's, of course, the population that is northwest Syria. Uh, and it's a crisis within a crisis because this population has been going through emergencies, whether it's a devastated economy or the cholera, recent cholera outbreak or COVID-19 or the inflation and high prices. So it just doesn't get any easier for these uh, displaced people. And currently we can see from the news, as the UN mentioned, we have over five and a half million Syrians who are now displaced due to this uh, earthquake. So you can imagine how uh, devastating the impact is uh, of this um, earthquake on these uh, people, whether they're in Syria or in Turkey. We're seeing remarkable stories of survival, but it's almost a week since the quake hit. How realistic is it that more survivors will be found at this point? 
That's a really good question, Patricia. And the thing is that, um, you know, the time for effective uh, search and rescue is tragically running out. It is a race against time. And, you know, we are, while we've seen great efforts being made by local actors to find as many people as possible, and as we've seen in the news, you know, there are still, um, I would call them miracles happening on the ground and people are being rescued. Uh, we do need to to also be um, um, realistic and see that, you know, while we are still trying to rescue lives, we also need to prioritize those who have survived by ensuring they have the vital assistance that they need. Because, again, these people are uh, living and staying in the open air in freezing temperatures where it goes to below zero degrees Celsius at night. Even in the, in the even during the day, it gets to two degrees, and that's really really cold. Um, and they need shelter, they need blankets, they need uh, food, they need clean water, um, medical aid, healthcare. I mean, in, in northwest Syria, the the healthcare system has been decimated, and it's uh, it's, it's uh, struggling a lot. Uh, so um, you can imagine that you know uh, we do need to prioritize uh, search and rescue, but also recovery, early recovery, to ensure that these populations have been rescued and saved can actually go back to some, some sense of normality to their lives. There have been reports of violent clashes forcing people to stop their missions in trying to help. Can you give me a sense of how lawless the situation is becoming? Um, for, the, for the International Rescue Committee, such reports, uh, to be completely uh, frank, I cannot confirm these. Um, however, I can say that we've been uh, we, we've welcomed a lot of the great efforts that we've witnessed on the ground in terms of uh, people from the community uh, rushing to save lives and rescue lives uh, for those who have been trapped. Especially, we can say that we've seen in Turkey a lot of this assistance has been going on, but in Syria, where uh, the aid has struggled greatly to get into the border into Syria, we can see how everyone was just counting on these people who were just trying all they can just to get into the scene uh, and try to save lives while there's also lack of machinery, uh, capacities, uh, just the, the support that you would just need so you can do, your, do the operation as, as much as you can. Um, so it's been, it's been quite difficult, to be honest. And, and these, obviously, such acts of violence could really hamper any aid efforts that we're, everyone is trying to do, whether aid organizations or even people from the community itself. So I think it's it's a time for us all to uh, to jointly just think of how we can save lives as much as we can, and ensure that aid is 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 uh, there's a lot of access and and um, avenues open for for aid to get to those people in need. And and that's obviously what you're you're trying to work on. Is is it your fear that that those avenues are closing or will close? According to these reports that we've been seeing since day one, we, we have noticed that there's been uh, a slow flow of aid into Syria. And that's also because the earthquake has caused a lot of severe damage to the road, to bridges, uh, a lot of uh, um, destroyed, let's say. Um, we've heard some of the, for example, in northern Syria, northwest Syria, there is actually one border crossing that is authorized by the UN Security Council, where UN assistance can get through from Turkey to Syria, which is that's the only crossing point. And there's been damage on that road, which also caused a lot of the aid to really um, take much longer than anticipated to get into Syria. And which is why four days later, the first UN convoy uh, made it to the border. So there's been a lot of um, uh, challenges that have been uh, encountered by the UN, by aid agencies. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's, 
It's called Bab al-Hawa, which is the UN crossing point. But there's also commercial routes where we can also make use of those to get aid into Syria. And this is where some of the UN agent, you, uh, sorry, some of the aid agencies, they use these outlets and these uh, crossing points to get that aid. So it's not only they don't rely solely on the uh, UN uh, Bab al-Hawa crossing point. So I think we need to, everyone needs to explore these avenues and ensure that um, aid is being uh, transferred into Syria to as many avenues as possible. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Elias Abuata is a spokesman for the International Rescue Committee and you're listening to RN Breakfast. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.